This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. If you haven't already turned there and you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, I'm not going to read all 28 verses again. That's why I asked Brother Stewart to read them. Uh, But I do want to talk a little bit about the text. Uh, First of all, the setting of this text really uh, comes about, for the most part, in the first six verses. It gives us the understanding of what's going on. Uh, They're about to uh, have the Passover, and the Lord's going to pass through Egypt. And what takes place here is uh, God is going to then talk to Moses and Aaron and instruct them on how to prepare the Israelites for this Passover. When I was a kid, I had two older brothers that were twins. And sometimes my older brothers would like to pick at me and uh, get me all riled up. And me being a younger brother, uh, five years younger, I would sit around and think of how I was going to get them back and exact my revenge. And uh, I would conjure up these great plans and schemes and all this stuff I was going to get them with. But you know, it never really worked out for me. I never was able to exact the revenge I really wanted. I would come up with something in my mind and it was never as good as what they had done to me. And it was never to the extent that I wanted it to be. But when we read today's text, you know, we find out that Moses has been sent back to Egypt. He had been gone from there for 40 years. And God tells him he's going to send him in to uh, free the people of Israel from slavery. And he's going to go there and we know that he's going to deliver these plagues. And we see this vengeance that God has, this redemptive uh, nature in which he's going to bring them out. And we see this judgment that's going to fall on on, uh, uh, Egypt and their gods. And all that, we never once see God fail to deliver and fail to bring judgment. God will execute His judgment on the unbelieving, but He will redeem those that place their faith in Him and follow His commandments. And that statement and that idea that's in this text is still true today to those who believe and those who do not. Today's question that I think really needs to be answered and that I want you all to look for in the text as we review it is how does God execute His judgment on the unbelieving? And then the second thing I want you to look for is how does God redeem those who place their faith in Him and follow His commands? I think if we look at this text from that perspective, we're going to get the best view of it. 
With that being said, I want you to look down at verses 7 through 13. 7 through 13, it says this, Then they shall take some of the bread and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavening, unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and the inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. I want to pause in the middle of this reading. And I want you to think about why in the world would God ask them to cook something in that manner? And here you have an entire lamb, and I've been a deer hunter for some time. And if I go and I hunt a deer and I shoot that deer, the first thing I want to remove from that deer is its inner parts. And so to think about the fact that God wanted them to cook this with the inner parts, it almost sounds gross, first off, but more importantly, there's, there's some significance to that. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that significance, but I will point out that it means that he wants them to be very quick about it. He doesn't want time to be taken from what they're doing. He wants it to be done very quickly. If you reference back to verse 6 at the very end, he tells them to kill the lamb at twilight. Twilight meaning from the evening of one day to the evening of the next. Back at verse 11. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So not only do you kill the animal with haste, cook it with haste, but you're going to eat it with haste as well. And you shall eat it in haste. In the, it is the Lord's Passover, for, it will pass, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and and beast and all that the God of gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see the Lord tells Moses and Aaron to kill, cook, and eat this unblemished lamb. They don't even take the guts out, and they do this because there's a coming judgment across the land of Egypt. And so we have to ask that question. How does God execute His judgment? And the answer is that God, the Lord, uh, judge His judgment on the unbelieving will be death. Those who don't believe here in this passage, they will die. He will exact judgment on the ones that he declared to punish, which was those who were in Egypt. He would uh, exact judgment on the Egyptian gods, as you've maybe read previous to this, through the other plagues. Those plagues were done not just haphazardly, but they were all done, especially the previous plague on darkness over the purpose of showing God's superiority to the Egyptian gods. Not only was it that, 
he was executing judgment on those who had enslaved his people. In the New Testament, we can look at this same idea. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we read that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we equally read that that very sin, for the wages of that sin, in Romans 6, 23, says for the wages of sin is death. And so we see that the same wage that they paid is the same wage that unbelievers today will pay, which is death. It is the punishment of God. When His wrath falls on the world, that's what happens. Death occurs. And it occurred here in Egypt, and it will occur once more. But the Lord will redeem His people by providing a Passover blemish-free lamb. The blood of this lamb will be a sign, and the Lord will pass over the people and will not destroy them. Verse 13 in this very text tells us that's what happened with the Israelites here. They put the blood around the doorposts of the houses. And when the Lord come through the city, he saw the blood and he did not exact judgment on those houses. The punishment that was told did not occur to those people because they had this blood of this blemish-free lamb above their doorpost. Well, clearly, that is a reference to the blood of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus. This is talking about John the Baptist. He saw Jesus coming. And this is what John the Baptist says. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we see a clear-cut picture here between the lamb that would save Israel, the blemish-free, spotless lamb, and we see that same lamb pictured in the New Testament as Jesus. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says that who was, that talking about Jesus, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised from the grave is the idea here, but raised for our justification. And so Jesus is that blemish-free lamb to people today. In other words, when the Lord decides to exact His judgment on the world, He will look and those who are covered by the blood of Jesus, who have that mark of His blood, His blemish-free blood on their lives, God will pass over those people and not get them with judgment, with condemnation, with punishment. In verse 14 through 20 of our text today, I want you to look at something else. It says this, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you will keep it as fast as a feast of, to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day 
a holy assembly. No work shall be done on these days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought you out of the brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. Second time that's mentioned. In the first month from the fourteenth uh, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether it is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat leavened bread. When I read this text, I thought to myself, now why is there such an emphasis on this bread right in the middle of the passage? And it took me a little bit because maybe I'm slow. But I started thinking, where else does the Bible talk about leaven? And it does. It speaks of leaven in the New Testament. In fact, leaven is often pictured as sin. Thinking about that, this text talks about this leaven. And they're going to then remove this leaven from their homes for seven days which you all know, if you've uh, done very much research in these texts, seven days or seven is the idea of completion. And I see here uh, the idea or the representation, since this is pre-law, this is a representation of a, a complete repentance of the people. The Lord will judge those who do not repent. Matthew Uh, And I I get that out of verse 15. And here's why I get that. Look back at your text. He says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. And if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day till the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Down in verse 20 or so, it mentions the exact same thing. This idea of removal from Israel if they didn't obey. I see an idea of repentance here in the text. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 says this. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And if we're not perfect, we're full of sin. These Israelites, whether they knew the law or not, it had been given. It had not been given. So uh, the sin was still there. Romans chapter 5 tells us that much. But I find it interesting that the first message that you hear from Jesus in the New Testament, if you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to, in Mark chapter 1. The first message in Mark. So Mark begins this way. John the Baptist is preparing the way and he uh, gives testimony about Jesus Uh, He talks about how uh, he wanted to... I'll read you a little bit of the text. Verse 8 says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
And then uh, the next few texts talk about Jesus being baptized. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted. That's uh, verse 12 uh, through 13. And then verse 14. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. This is the first thing Mark records. Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. And that time being the time that all the prophets and all the writers of the Old Testament, all the time was fulfilled to the moment of Jesus' coming. As he is the centrality of the scripture. He is the climax of it. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the one thing he says first is what? Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, for those who don't repent, there is no forgiveness. Repentance is the fruit of belief. The Lord will redeem His people through the repentance of sin. The getting rid of leaven from the home signifies a complete repentance from sin. Leaven pictured... Uh, in Galatians 5.9 when it says a little leaven leavens the whole lump that is a picture of sin that's the reference he's making in that text in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says this if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness and so we see this idea of sin being cleansed In the New Testament, repentance of sin is just a part of the process. And I see in Exodus chapter 12, he may not directly be saying that's what it is, but it's certainly a great picture of it. You read on uh, down to verse 21 through 23, the children of Israel at this point, they listen to what has been said. And uh, Moses uh, tells the children of Israel what they're going to do and they obey the Lord. Now, the actual statement of obedience comes down in verse 28, but the idea of what he's saying in 23 is what's taking place in chronological order here. The children of Israel listen and obey the Lord, uh, the command of the Lord. And this is what the command of the Lord is. Uh, the Lord's judgment will fall on those who do not obey his commands. The Israelites follow the Lord because God has granted them the ability to follow the Lord. In John chapter 6 verse 44 it says, No one can come unto the Father unless... No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. These people in Israel were not given the opportunity to follow the Lord. The word wasn't spread from house to house to house for them. They weren't told what to do. If God had wanted to spare the, Israel, uh, the Egyptians, what would have happened? He would have sent word throughout all of Egypt. And they would have known. After all, common everyday people in Egypt certainly had to have started recognizing that something pretty awkward was happening. Prior to our text here, uh, when Moses goes before Pharaoh, 
Pharaoh says, don't ever come back for the day that I see you, you will surely die. And Moses says, what you say is true. And he leaves. And then the Lord tells him he needs to go tell him again. And so, or tell him about what's fixing to happen. But when he goes, it talks about how the people favored Moses. But God didn't send that information to them. You see, God chooses and and saves those whom he desires to save. And we see that clearly in this text. And we see that clearly in John 6, 44. There are people whom God does not do that for. No one can come to the Father unless, or come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John uh, uh, 10, 27 says this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see, following Christ, following the Lord's commands is evidence of belief. The Lord will redeem those who obey His commands because they are His children. Finally, I want to look at this. Verses 24 through 28. The people were to observe this feast of unleavened bread perpetually. Year after year. It wasn't supposed to go away for them. And they were to do this for the purpose of reminding them of what the Lord had done. But not just reminding them. It was also done to teach their children about the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. If you don't believe me, look down in verse 26. It says this, or verse 25, we'll start there. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians by spare, uh, by, but spared our houses. You see, what this was was not just a perpetual reminder, but it was an opportunity to teach their children, to instruct their children as to what's happened with them and the Lord. I say that you have to look at this in its fullness. At what point does this Passover, since it says it's a forever, multiple times it's a forever practice, at what point did this stop being practiced? Well, I believe it stopped being practiced when the Lord, Jesus, instituted the Lord's Supper. I believe it stopped being practiced at that moment when He broke the bread and said, this is my body, eat. And if he's truly the Passover lamb, there's a good significance of that because in this Passover, they had to eat the the meat of the lamb. So they eat the meat, they eat the Lord's body and the bread, the unleavened bread, the sinless bread of the Lord. And we do that to this day. As often as we do this, do this in what? 
Remembrance of me. What does that really mean? It is a means of grace, isn't it? Not that we're having some special the transubstantiation of the bread becoming the actual flesh of Christ and we're inwardly chewing the Lord's body in our mouths. But as a means of grace, as our children and those around us see us take the Lord and we eat and we drink and it's an outward expression and when they say to us, as my daughter said many times, Dad, when can I do that? And what does that mean? And what do we do with that opportunity? We share the truth about Jesus Christ and we share the truth about His death and His burial and His resurrection because it's a means of grace. The Israelites had the similar means of grace. My question is, as we close... I know I'm speaking to a bunch of people who believe in Jesus already, or at least claim to. But do you take the time when you take the Lord's Supper? Do you take the time when you remember and share with those around you who may not really understand what's going on and explain that to them, giving them the knowledge of the truth about the Passover lamb, that one day when God comes back to judge the world and His wrath falls on all of humanity, that those who are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, He will pass over and not judge. But they will have been found Righteous in his sight. Not by their own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to them. Do you take that opportunity to witness of the Lord? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.